0: Hi, today's scripture reading is from Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll be using the CSB translation. If you have a Bible or a device, I'd encourage you to turn there. While you're getting there, my name is Sarah Verdick. Me and my family have been covenant members since January of this year. We've been attending Crosspoint for about a year now. Let's hear God's word. I wrote the first narrative, Theopolis about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had taken instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took them out of his sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sarah.
1: If you have a Bible, uh, open it up there, and will uh, that's where we'll be for today's uh, message. When our kids were growing up, they were both involved in track. We loved watching them as parents, despite the length of meet sometimes or the less than favorable weather conditions. We would all do it in a heartbeat again. Both of our kids were involved in relay races, among other events. Maddie tended to be 4x1, 4x2. Eli was 4x4, 4x8. The point of a relay race is as a team to get the baton from one runner to the next runner from start to finish, uh, starting with it in your hand, finishing with it in your hand as a team. One key element of a relay race is the handoff, the exchange, the passing of the baton from one runner to the next. One runner reaching out to to hand off, the next runner reaching back to receive. It's a heartbreaking moment. There's a collective uh, moment across the crowd when the baton gets dropped. There's this, oh, this heartbreaking moment. In many ways, you could say that as we follow Jesus together, we are involved in baton work, in the work of handing off and receiving so that others might hand off and receive and so forth. And the gospel of God's grace baton is what has been handed off to us, passed down generation to generation since the days of the New Testament. So we're not inventing something new as a church. We're not dropping the eternal baton for a lesser one. We're not like, well, you know, in our generation, I think there's some more pressing needs, so we're not going to talk about Jesus and his word and the truth of that. We're going to talk about what trends on Twitter instead. No, we're going to be found faithful instead in our day to not only be anchored to the truth of the Lord and his word and who he is, we're also going to be found faithful to proclaim and pass on the good news of God's grace to those around us, including the next generation, and seek to apply it to everyday life because God's word is living and active. This disciple-making mission of going, teaching, baptizing, equipping, sending out, it started with Jesus. We are continuing in what he began in the Gospels. And what we'll see in Acts is the early New Testament church received that Gospel baton and keep running. I mean, the only reason we are gathered here in this space, in the world, is because the Spirit of God has been empowering the people of God to be witnesses. And the people of God have been saying yes to that commission, receiving the baton and passing it it on. Short of a few breaks and some rest stops along the way, we'll be in the book of Acts until next summer. One reason we often preach through books of the Bible is because in doing so, it helps us grow in our biblical understanding. It helps us see the word of God in its context. It helps us not only learn from it, but also seek to apply it, allow it to transform our hearts and minds. Because again, it's living and active. As we look at this first section in chapter 1, I want us to see two realities. One is that we've been commanded to continue in the mission that Jesus has already begun, commanded to continue. And we've been empowered by the Spirit of God as we continue, as we run this global relay race. So verses 1 through 3 again, it says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke is the I in verse 1. And the first narrative that Luke wrote was the gospel of Luke. There are four accounts of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Those first four being those four in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You could say that the book of Luke is volume one, the first narrative about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is volume two, the second narrative, the continuing work of Jesus. Luke was a doctor, and so he's an educated man, and he, is, he's, he wasn't one of the first 12 disciples that Jesus called, and yet he's active in the ministry and mission of Jesus and joins in Paul, for instance, in the storyline of Acts later on. And Luke is not one to talk about himself. He wants Jesus to be the hero of both volume one and volume two. Being a physician, Luke is a detailed guy. So, this, so his gospel account is one of the most thorough of the four. And here in Acts, he's detailed as well. He wants to record historical realities that took place as the mission of Jesus continued. So this is not a, a man's wild imagination, but rather an account of, of the church living on mission, empowered by the Spirit. Theophilus was a Roman official, probably someone with a high social standing, someone with financial means that could help support Luke's work, and more than likely was someone either newer in the faith or beginning to explore what it meant to follow Christ. So because Luke and Acts serve as volume 1 and 2, the last chapter of Luke, chapter 24, and Acts 1, there's an overlap there talking about the ascension of Jesus. So the Gospel of Luke, Volume 1, is all about, the, all about what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts picks up that work in the storyline where Jesus has risen from the dead, then ascends to heaven, and sends his disciples out. One author said you could retitle the book of Acts as the Acts of the Lord Jesus through the apostles and the church by the power of the, power of the Spirit. It's a really long title, okay? But you get the idea. It's an action book. It's called Acts for that Reason, recording the works of the Son of God through the people of God who are empowered by the Spirit of God. So how should we approach this book as we begin this journey? Well, we do so as missionaries, not as museum spectators. So we don't read through the historically accurate account of the early church as if we're going through a museum looking at all the dead artifacts, reading the little signs, trying not to touch the glass, even though everything in us wants to touch the glass, pushing the button so we can hear the audio or see the animation. No, rather, we study this book because we are present-day missionaries who are taking up the baton that's been handed to us. And we want to be found faithful in the race that is before us, missionaries, not museum spectators. Luke is prayerful and hopeful that those who read this account won't see it as a museum of dead history, but rather read the accounts of a living and true God at work through ordinary people who've been radically changed by the love of Jesus and now want others to experience that same radical change. So how many years does Acts cover? 30 years, only 30 years. Scholar and author Michael Green says this about those 30 years. Three crucial decades in world history. That's all it took. In the years between 33 and 64 AD, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It's spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion followers. It has made an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and, of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all of this, the time when it took decisive root, he writes, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men, a handful of women, and then the Spirit came and all heaven broke loose. So what verses 2 and 3 are describing in this transitional time between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus is is around 40 days. And during it, we learn here in 1 Corinthians 15, and the Gospel of Luke, we learn that the resurrected and risen Jesus was physically present with his people. He wasn't a ghost. People saw him. They heard from him. They touched him. They ate with him. Convincing proofs is how Luke writes it in verse 3 meaning the witnesses that saw Jesus were convinced. It wasn't like, eh, I don't know, maybe I saw something else. Even those who initially doubted, and there were doubters, turned to wholehearted belief. And during this time, Jesus continues to teach and train about the kingdom of God, which wasn't a new subject, but a continuation of what he taught in the Gospels. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and nothing and no one is greater than the king of kings, including death itself, including the devil's schemes. Well, the resurrection of Jesus on the third day, following his death on a cross, proves that the kingdom of God is alive. It's expanding. The baton passing from one person to another, one family to another, one generation to another. More and more people are being rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of life and light the kingdom of God, the kingdom that has no end because its king is eternal. Verses 4 and 5. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Jesus commands his small group of disciples to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait remain in the city. The city, keep in mind, where Jesus was just crucified. Where following his crucifixion, these disciples would have scattered in fear, thinking, well, we've been associated with him, so we need to hide. And Jesus commands them to stay in the city and to wait. Wait for what? That's the Father's promise, meaning the Holy Spirit of God. The spirit that is Luke twenty-four forty-nine describes him that that he will empower his people from on high. As Jesus approached the end of his earthly life, he taught his disciples that the spirit will come, that he will depart, but the spirit will come in his place. In John 14, he teaches on the spirit. For, For example, verses 16 and 17, he says this, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him. Because he remains with you and will be in you. Verse 26 in the same chapter, Jesus says, But the Counselor, the the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and remind you of everything I've told you. Well, all that teaching in John 14 took place before the chaos of arrest, trial, beatings, crucifixion, scattering, and fear. Before the resurrection... So you got to know that the disciples, as they're hearing the words of Jesus now in Acts 1, they're ringing a bit more true than they did in John 14 as they talk to resurrected Jesus. And so Jesus again says, the Spirit, the Father's promise will come. Wait. Notice that Jesus is the leader of the mission. And that never changes even in his physical ascension. Peter will rise to be one of the leaders in the early church, a first among equals, if you will. But Peter is also the one who later writes in 1 Peter, referring to Jesus as the chief shepherd of the church. He's still calling the shots for the good of his people. Yes, he equips and appoints under shepherds, which Peter talks about in 1 Peter. But he does so because these elders, these pastors, these under shepherds, they're entrusted with the the flock of God, but they are to serve humbly underneath the authority of Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. So they're not the ones calling the shots. Jesus Christ still is the head of his church. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. John referring to John the baptizer, John the Baptist. John was the last of the line of Old Testament prophets that were all pointing to the coming Messiah. And so John was preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And in doing so, people began to think, are you the Savior, John? Luke 3, verses 15 and 16 says this. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John is saying, no, 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 I am not the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is not about me at all. This is all about Jesus, and he has come in the flesh to dwell among us, to rescue and redeem, and so that's early in volume one, early in the storyline, as Jesus is getting closer to beginning his public ministry. And then here in volume 2, Acts, the story is continuing. Jesus, the one more powerful, has come. He has fulfilled his mission. This is 30 plus years from that moment in Luke 3. And now before he ascends, he will send the Holy Spirit. He will do what he said he will do because he's a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. Verses 6 and 7 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It's a natural question for these disciples of Jewish background to ask. They assume the Spirit's coming. That means the kingdom of Israel will be restored as well, that the Jewish people will be delivered from Roman occupation and oppression. It's not a bad question. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking such a question, but the question they ask is far too narrow, far too limiting. These disciples, as they prepare to wait in Jerusalem there naturally because of their upbringing, their current understanding, they're focused only on this little slice, if you will, of the world. Their idea of God's mission begins and ends with Israel. Israel. And in verse 8, Jesus will expand upon that vision. He will lift their chins that are prone to self centeredness and say, No, no, look further. Look beyond the borders of Israel. God's mission doesn't stop or skip over Israel, it it begins in Jerusalem and it expands out from there. And so to their question, Jesus answers answers them It's not for you to know. You're not the ones calling the shots. In a sense, stay in your lane. The Father is the one in authority, and He can be trusted in every way and in everything. Friends, we are created beings. Our Creator God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing. We are not, despite the lie that we believe. Well, we have technology, so we can ask the Apple lady or the Amazon lady, ask questions, and she can speak to us, and we can pretend that we are all-knowing. Hey, Alexa, tell me the weather. I'm really hoping somebody watching online, that might work. I don't know if it will. I'm hoping. But technology makes us think that we are omniscient. We're not. We're creative people. We still have to type something in, speak something, because we don't know the answer. We are dependent, created beings, and we are called to trust in our God in everything, for He's worthy of trust in everything. The disciples needed to know that in Acts 1. We need to know that now. So to their question, Jesus doesn't say it won't happen. He does say, you need to redirect your focus to what you are to do in the meantime. Leave the restoration work and timeline up to the Father and His authority. Don't let that be a matter of excessive concern. Instead, give your attention, prayer, time, talent, treasure. Give the whole of your life to this mission, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Don't be distracted in trying to determine unknowable realities. Do be focused on living as witnesses in the time that you've been given. Verse 8 is a great verse to tuck away and memorize in your heart. Verse 8 gives a storyline. It's the key verse in all of Acts. It gives the outline to the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7 are in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 11, Judea, Samaria. Chapters 12 onward is the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Keep in mind where we are today, both geographically and ethnically. We sit in an ends of the earth to those who first heard this command in Acts 1. I mean, they can't even, their vision doesn't reach this far. Jesus is describing here in verse 8 concentric geographic circles working out from Jerusalem to people like them, to people not like them, starting locally, going globally, going out to reach more people, both geographically and ethnically, every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the mission the Lord is on. In Acts, Jerusalem is the hub early on. In the end, it's going to be Rome. And we'll see the gospel starting to go out how we approach missions as a church is with this Acts 1-8 concentric circle idea of local, regional, global. We want to be involved in all three of these spheres as we live driven to reach people. Author Kent Hughes wrote this as it relates to that verse. But what a shock these geographical designations must have been to the disciples. Jerusalem, the Lord was crucified there. Judea, they'd already been rejected there. Samaria, ministered to those half-breeds? The end of the earth? Gentiles? The words of Jesus, he writes, were not only spiritually revolutionary, but socially and ethnically unheard of. The baton of the gospel of God's grace is to go to all. It crosses ethnic lines, social class lines, geopolitical lines, because the Lord Jesus is creating and forming a new eternal community and family that should look odd strange peculiar to the world see the world splits and divides and separates over ethnic social class lines and geopolitical lines the people of God don't we don't because we are a new people because our family transcends these earthly lines our new family kicks those lines in the sand Away. Our new family kicks those lines and says, no, in Christ we are now joined, adopted, brought together. (coughs) And we're on mission to reach those who are still isolated, orphaned, disconnected. Jesus says we are to be His witnesses. So think of a witness in court. As one author wrote, a witness in this sense is someone who who helps establish facts objectively, through verifiable observation. So a witness doesn't testify as if, well, I think I saw what I saw. Or I feel it's this. Or I think it was that person. Maybe. I don't know. No, a witness doesn't give their personal and subjective impressions. A, a witness instead speaks to what they saw, what they experienced. A witness speaks to the truth. Kent Hughes says, to be a witness for Christ is to bring a message that is a marvel of simplicity. That message being Jesus Christ is God. He came in the flesh. He died to pay for our sins. He was resurrected. Now he's exalted to heaven. And Jesus calls us to believe in him and in doing so receive forgiveness and new life. I've coached middle school basketball for boys basketball for 16 years. In the game of basketball, as with most sports, there are those who run a lot or those who play a lot, those who play some and those who play very little. There are those who never make the team. There are starters and subs and those who I make cry in October and I feel like a terrible person, okay? I can only play five boys at a time. There's only 24 minutes of game clock to work with. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in the kingdom of God, there is no bench. There are no starters and subs and those who didn't make the team. There's no varsity or JV or freshman. There's no redbirds and bluebirds or gold, silver, bronze or A team, B team or skins and shirts. If you're in Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you made the team by grace alone, through faith alone. You didn't slip in, you were chosen in love. And in the kingdom as we live as citizens of heaven, everyone plays all at once. It sounds a bit chaotic, and it is sometimes. It is. But Paul relates it to a human body where all the members and parts play together in unity, playing their part in the building up of the kingdom and the glory of the king. And there's no fine print to verse 8. See, we're all commanded. Not those in vocational ministry and not those... Not paid by a church. No, we are all commanded, all believers in Christ are commanded to continue as witnesses. And we've been empowered by the Spirit of God as we continue. Verses 9 through 11. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? the same jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven this is a mic drop moment go be witnesses you've the spirit will come and then taken up into a cloud which is this resounding visible reminder okay we, we can trust him we can trust him there he goes all of us are squarely feet on the ground even if the photographer has photographer says, everybody jump all at once. We're like, we're going to land down in 0.7 seconds. Jesus ascends, not in defeat, but in victory, in authority. We're on His side. He's with us. He's leading. He's empowering. He's for us in all things. Nothing can separate us from His, His love. And why are you and I afraid of people? He rode away on a cloud He's coming back on a cloud. We can walk in faith, brothers and sisters. We can walk in courageous, bold, not arrogant, love. Because we have been so lavishly loved by Him. What takes place here points back to the resurrection and reminds the disciples then and us now that nothing and no one is greater than Jesus. And all authority in heaven and on earth is His. He can be trusted in all things for the forgiveness of sins, the power to live as witnesses and all of life in between. The angels give a mild rebuke to those in attendance. Why do you stand looking up into heaven? Don't stare into heaven as if you're surprised. He will return like he's promised. Every promise he has made, he's followed through on. It's as if the angels are saying, okay, he's departed. Don't be idle in your gaze to heaven. Let's get going. And yet, keep in mind, their get going, their next action step is to wait, prayerfully wait. Will it be waiting all the time? No. If so, this series gets done really, really fast. But we must see the sequence here that our faith-filled, (laughs) action-oriented obedience is fueled not in our strength, but rooted in a posture of dependence and prayerful waiting as we walk by faith. Maybe the most faith-filled action step that is before you is to wait upon the Lord, to grow in expectant prayerfulness as you wait. In many ways, we as his people, we're all waiting, waiting for His return, and we can get impatient. But the Lord's sovereign plans are right on track, right on schedule. He's not pacing back and forth wondering, I wonder how He can redeem brokenness and injustice and evil and suffering. I wonder how He can do that. He's not anxious at all. We have no reason to be either because we are with him, and he is for us. It's a ske- he is on a schedule that we are not to know. We are to walk by faith and trust. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In the, in, in the angel's announcement at the ascension, they are reminding them and us of this promise that he will return not as a humble baby in bethlehem but as judge king of kings lord of lords judge of the living and the dead so this local to global mission has eternal ramifications what jesus began he continues we as his people have been handed the baton 30 years that's all this book covers we just celebrated 20 years as a church consider what the Lord could do in the next 20 years. Well, brothers and sisters, he can and will do whatever he pleases and his sovereign plans will come to pass and we, ordinary, unschooled people, his sons and daughters, we get the gracious opportunity to play a part. What a gift that is empowered by His Spirit, joined to one another in His family. Lord Jesus, we are grateful and we praise You that You were born of a virgin. You lived a sinless life. You died for our sin. You you rose again on the third day. You ascended to heaven. One day, You are returning. Thank You that You can be trusted in all things and in all seasons. Thank You that You haven't left us alone to be on mission as witnesses. You've joined us to You empowered us with your spirit and joined us to one another in the church thank you that we get to be a part of a mission that is bigger than us grander than our own little worlds thank you for bringing us into your kingdom by grace alone and that you are a worthy king deserving of all our worship help us to run this global relay race for your glory help us to get going but not relying upon our own strength but yours not trusting in our own wisdom, but yours alone. May you open the doors and may you give us words to speak full of grace seasoned with salt. Add to the number daily those who are being saved, Lord. Add to the number daily those who are being sent out, Lord. You are able to do that work and we rest and labor in you and your power and your grace. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to worship alongside one another as your family. Remind us of your goodness, remind us of your power as we walk by faith from this place. We pray this in your name, amen. Sam and Allie, you want to make your way up here? Um, the kingdom of God, is always, there's always a, a sweetness to it and in the sending out, and there's also a sadness in the sending out, and that's been the case for 20 years. Um, we want to pray for Sam and Allie who are joining the launch team of Partridge Point Community Church in Metamora. Uh, we as a church... We've invested into that work. We plan to continue to invest into that work. We're committed to local, rural church planting in partnership with other kingdom-minded, gospel-centered churches. And so it's a joy to be able to to do that. There's also a joy in sending out brothers and sisters in Christ who want to join in that work and who, this is a very fitting work. Their home, this is where their home's going to be. It's where Sam grew up and to live on mission, to basically live out what all we talked about this morning and what all we'll talk about in the months ahead. Uh, It is a sweet gift to send you out and pray for you. Um, I send you out with uh, Galatians 6, which elders uh, prayed for us uh, as we got sent out 20 years ago. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will uh, reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I pray that in the planting and watering, uh, the Lord will cause a ha- harvest. And so I, we're going to pray for them. I encourage you to pray for them. I encourage you to visit sometime. And the coming uh, public launch is uh, September 24th. And so uh, may the Lord cause the growth as the people of God walk by faith. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for Sam and Allie and their, uh, their new one. I thank you for this family of three. I pray you'd bless them abundantly as they walk by faith. I pray that they would know that they've been empowered by your spirit as they live as witnesses from their home to their workplace, to their neighborhood, cause the growth, Lord. May they not grow weary in doing good, but may a harvest result, a harvest of lives changed, households transformed, generations impacted. We pray in advance for a, a 20-year vision, a 20-year harvest that they might be able to enjoy. And may it lead to your, your glory. And may it lead to gratitude in them and the launch team and those who will join in with them in the months and years ahead. We pray this in your name. Amen.